En måndag eftermiddag ringer telefonen hemma hos Rajib i Dhaka i Bangladesh. En förtvivlad röst i örat och bara sekunder senare är hans liv förändrat för alltid. And I was crying and I was thinking what should I do, what should I do, should I go to his house, should I see what's happening, is he still really alive, does he need blood? when my partner he was in london and he kept on texting me like you know you need to get out you need to go somewhere safer du måste ta dig från lägenheten nu skriver rajibs pojkvän i ett sms det här är rfsu dokumentär och en berättelse om hur det är att leva i bangladesh där homosexualitet är förbjudet och hbtq aktivister försvinner spårlöst RFSU Dokumentär En podd om kamp, flykt och sexuella rättigheter Rajib är 31 år och bor i Uppsala med sin partner Ashek som just flyttat hit från London Rajib är journalist och jobbade tidigare på den liberala och hbtq-vänliga tidningen Dhaka Tribune i Bangladesh han har nyligen ansökt om asyl i Sverige och tillbringar dagarna med att lära sig svenska. Varje morgon tar han pendeltåget till SFI-undervisningen i Stockholm och så hem igen på eftermiddagen. Han kan göra det nu, åka kollektivt. Det kunde han inte för bara ett år sedan. 2016 bor Rajib i Bangladeshs huvudstad Dhaka. Och varje gång han lämnar sin lägenhet måste han se sig över axeln. Han är förföljd och antagligen också avlyssnad. Rajib föds i Dhaka 1985. När han är fyra år får hans pappa jobb i Saudiarabien och hela familjen flyttar dit och bosätter sig i huvudstaden Riyadh. De är strikt religiösa, också Rajib är troende muslim och ber fem gånger om dagen. Men föräldrarna är samtidigt ganska liberala och ger barnen en stor frihet. My family is pretty uh, middle class or lower middle class you could say, but still their values are pretty much liberal. At least used to be before when I was growing up uh, and they gave me all the freedom that I wanted. I mean, you know, of course I didn't come out back then and they didn't know about me. I was still very young, still exploring myself. I tonåren märker Rajib att han tänder på killar. För honom är det helt naturligt. I Saudiarabien med sin rigida könsseparatism umgås han bara med killar och tror att alla män har sex med män. Ordet homosexualitet har han aldrig hört. No, I mean I grew up in Saudi Arabia, right? And uh, of course when I reached puberty when I started uh, meeting other men, for me that was just natural, that was the norm. Because in Saudi Arabia as I said there's a huge segregation of gender and um, you know Uh, for me it was just normal that I was having sex with guys because I see guys around me all the time and I thought everybody was doing it. I was very religious at that time but I had no idea that homosexuality was a sin. Nobody ever told me. I read Quran, I prayed five times a day but nobody told me that it was a bad thing. I remember after I had my first experience with a man in a public place I ran to tell it to my brother. Att homosexualitet skulle vara en synd och något dåligt har Rajib lyckligtvis ingen aning om. Så efter sin sexdebut rusar han glad i hågen till sin storebror för att berätta. And he was just busy playing football and he didn't really say anything. But I did tell him. So for me it was okay. You know, that's what everybody does. It was actually like afterwards, after coming back to Bangladesh, after talking to other gay men that i started to realize that uh, you know people do suffer from homophobia internal homophobia uh, and people are not very comfortable with it in their own skin and uh, you know it is actually seen in islam and 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 uh, in other religions and there's all this homophobia i faced none of that i think i was very lucky i was very privileged i think also that also comes from a bit of my ignorance that I didn't read about it that I didn't know about it uh, that I didn't have a word for it I mean even also you know in Saudi Arabia the men that I met it was just about sex we wouldn't talk about oh I feel so bad about it I feel so guilty I didn't think they asked me are you gay or if I or ever I said I'm gay 
I, I would be like, oh, okay, let's meet and then probably we'll do something. It's, it's about that. Den unge Rajib har tur och stöter aldrig på någon homofobi i Saudiarabien. Hans 31-åriga jag säger att det måste brott på hans egen okunskap, att han var så obildad. Men kunskapstörsten kickar in och Rajib börjar vantrivas i Saudiarabien. The environment in Saudi Arabia is such that you don't get access to literature, to books, to movies, to liberal ideas and for me in that teenage years you want to explore the world you want to know more so for me it was uh, easy to convince my parents that i should go back to bangladesh and stay on my own initially they were resisting the idea because they were worried that i was too young and how could i live on my own and all of that but i think i have a little bit of convincing power and uh, it worked När Rajib är 16 år gammal börjar hans nya liv i Dhaka. And since then I have lived in Bangladesh and that's where a new life started for me. I got into activism, I met so many cool friends, I met my partner. For me that was the country of freedom. Of course the country is not as developed as Saudi Arabia. Um, the lifestyle is not as uh, improved, not as modern, but in terms of values, culture, uh, ideology, uh, everything that could attract a teenager was there. Rajib förbluffas över hur mycket friare det är Bangladesh jämfört med Saudiarabien. Han ser lika många kvinnor som män på gatorna. Får en lägenhet ovanför en galleria full av bokaffärer där all världens böcker går att få tag på. Och han fullkomligt uppslukas av stadens progressiva kulturscen. Det var the hub av um, writers, activists, poets, cultural activists. Och uh, det completely changed my life. Jag hade different take on on religion on life on um, politics on my identity and everything but did you become like an uh, uh, atheist now i identify as myself as an atheist yes but also of course that took me years to sort of come to terms with with this because of my also religious upbringing but those years those initial years in bangladesh played a huge role And for me, Bangladesh at the time was this country where there was a lot of opportunities. Um, there was a lot of freedom and, and people could really write and say and talk about the things that they believe in. Frihetens och möjligheternas land. Rajib om Bangladesh i början av 2000-talet. Bangladesh ligger mellan Indien och Burma och är ett av världens mest tätbefolkade och fattigaste länder. Och också ett av dem som är mest sårbart för naturkatastrofer till följd av klimatförändringarna. Här bor 160 miljoner människor på en yta lika liten som en tredjedel av Sverige. Bangladesh är en gammal koloni som tillhörde det brittiska Indien och blir självständigt 1971. Åren därefter präglas av militärkupper och stor politisk oro. Men 1991 blir Bangladesh till slut en parlamentariskt styrdemokrati. Dock med enbart två politiska partier som idag är varandras bittra fiender. Landet är mycket religiöst och till största delen muslimskt. Och i takt med en ökad islamisering och militarisering trycks de mänskliga rättigheterna tillbaka allt mer. Landet har kvar den gamla brittiska koloniallagen som kriminaliserar samkönade sexuella handlingar. Och här finns varken rättssäkerhet, yttrandefrihet eller fri media. Makten slår ner hårt på oliktänkande, såsom journalister, studenter, bloggare, ateister och hbtq-personer. Människor mördas, frihetsberövas, hotas och förföljs både IRL och på sociala medier. Nästan ingen vågar vända sig till polisen för att risken är så stor att då blir bötfälld, torterad eller fängslad. 
För hbtq-personer finns inget skydd alls, varken hos staten eller samhället. Transkvinnor och transpersoner i Bangladesh kallas traditionellt för hiras. Och sen några år tillbaka erhåller personer med transidentitet ett tredje juridiskt kön. Men trots denna ökade legala status är detta en mycket förtryckt grupp i samhället. Många hiras fördrivs från sina familjer, har mycket svårt att få ett jobb och tvingas därför till tiggeri eller sexarbete. I början av 2000-talet kommer internet till Bangladesh och Rajib går online. Han vill träffa någon och lyckas få ett medlemskap i den slutna Yahoo-gruppen Boys Only Bangladesh och tar sina första steg mot ett liv som HBTQ-aktivist. And uh, that's how it all started. I started attending their events. I started going out with them. I met some amazing people uh, who used to be activists back then. And uh, you know we were hanging out, we were talking, we were doing events together, events more like gatherings, get-togethers, you know, just uh, regular um, conversations, coffee, coffee shops. Um, and what did you talk about on these events? Anything and everything. You know, you talk about movies, you talk about uh, music, you talk about um, your life, you talk about your relationships, uh, you talk about what's going on in the country, what's going on in the world, just like any group any other circle of friends would do that's the whole idea the whole idea was that you know being gay is not something just to be doing within your four walls in your private space you can be gay you can come out you, you can go to a coffee shop you can have a regular gatherings regular you know conversation just like anybody else so the whole idea was to make it a bit more mainstream to bring people out of their closets to allow them to have a space where they can be themselves and then suddenly one day i i started organizing things from being a participant i went on to become an organizer um they took me into the management board they said you you know you can become a moderator i gladly accepted and uh, i started organizing things Rajib går från att vara deltagare till att bli arrangör och till och med styrelseordförande i organisationen Boys of Bangladesh. Efter ett tag vill medlemmarna utöka verksamheten och inte bara alla samtalsträffar på kaféer en gång i månaden. Folk vill träffas oftare och ha kul. Maybe we can do film screenings. Maybe we can do picnics. Maybe we can do river cruises. Maybe we can do parties. In the first gathering I remember there were three people. And now if we organize an event in Bangladesh for the gay community there would be at least 200 300 people. Was it possible to call them gay parties or queer clubs or gay clubs or I mean within our circle everybody knew that they were gay parties. But just to let you inform you there is no clubs and bars in Bangladesh even not for even for straight people. There are some bars which are licensed and and only people foreigners can go and only licensed license holders can go and drink but no clubs no clubs at all people do house clubs like house parties do they even drink alcohol yeah yeah alcohol everybody drinks alcohol but it's you don't talk about it it's like very hush hush enligt lag får bangladeshiska muslimer varken inneha eller dricka alkohol eller vara brusade bara femstjärniga hotell och ett fåtal barer med särskilt tillstånd får lov att servera alkohol. Men det är alltså inget som hindrar folk från att festa. Men hur går det då till att arra gayparten på offentliga platser i ett land som Bangladesh där homofobin är statligt sanktionerad och hbtq-personer diskrimineras, trakasseras och förföljs helt öppet? For our organization Boys of Bangladesh we have always maintained that all our events should be public events and and in public spaces. All our gatherings would place in restaurants or in cafes and we would just go there and and be there and we don't need to tell the authorities that we are a gay crowd. And uh, as long as they uh, had their business they didn't mind and we would um hire DJs and the DJs would know that it's a gay crowd but those are probably DJs from our community or from people who are friendly you know LGBT friendly and uh, the crowd of course they knew 
who are coming and we would only uh, advertise it through our list. Rajiv berättar att de antingen går till ett café eller något annat ställe och tar över det fast utan att säga att de är homosexuella. Eller så abonnerar de en hel restaurang och säger att de ska ha födelsedagskalas eller något liknande. Till en början granskar de alla sina gäster mycket noggrant. Du kan bara komma in om du har en annan från communityt som referens. Säkerheten är hög. Men efter några år känner de att det är dags för nästa steg. De vill nå ut till ännu fler och behöver hyra större ställen än restauranger. I november 2005 anordnar de för första gången en fest som de öppet säger är en gayfest. And uh, in remember in 2005 we went to this one venue called Cosmo. It's a lounge in Bangladesh and uh, they were the first event, first venue where we openly said we were a gay crowd and we want to have a party here. It went very good because um, we already knew that the owner was LGBT friendly. And uh, you know, uh, it was also a venue for middle and upper class and uh, who are generally um, More att gå på gayfester och engagera sig i hbtq-frågor är något som nästan bara medelklassmän eller de ännu mer privilegierade kan ägna sig åt. Rajiv berättar till exempel att hela deras organisation, all verksamhet, utgår från internet. Och när de startar i början av 2000-talet är det väldigt dyrt att koppla upp sig på nätet. And not only just internet, but you also need to know English. You also need to have a computer. Um, you also need to know how to use a computer. You need money for the internet connection. Um, so yes, we were only accessible by a group of people, um, mostly middle class, upper middle class. Also, these events that we organized because we these were paid. Uh, people would have to buy a ticket and come in. Not everybody from uh, all the social economic background were able to come. Uh, which uh, is our uh, limitation our drawback we are uh, sometimes criticized for that and but we do claim that um, we we are not in a position we're not able to cater to everybody in the society we are pretty much a, a group of middle class you know bangladeshi gay men and we acknowledge that limitation vi har inte möjlighet att verka brett i samhället säger rajib och vi är medvetna om vår begränsning Samtidigt är den bangladeshiska homosexuella medelklassen svår att nå ut till för att den på ett sätt är så pass osynlig, fortsätter han. För när man har pengar och kontakter är det mycket enklare att leva homosexuellt om än i garderoben. Det får sin följd att den som har det gott ställt inte vill riskera att förlora allt det där goda och gör sig därför väldigt osynlig. You know, they have the money, they have the privilege so they can be gay without not being out they can you know if they're in a trouble they can get out of the trouble with money and uh, moreover they have everything so they don't want to risk anything by coming out or doing things so these are the people who who are very difficult to reach out to for example a middle class bangladeshi gay guy will have his own room like his own room in the apartment and everybody lives with their family in, of course in Bangladesh so it it is easier for him to bring his partner bring his friend to his room and and have a good time but for somebody coming from the lower uh, economic background um that person will not have a private room because they would they would be living in a small apartment with many people So for him, he he can only find partner if he goes to a public cruising places. For somebody who needs to go to a public cruising place to find partners, will automatically be vulnerable to harassment by people, by local thugs, by police, by government. He will be also vulnerable to HIV/AIDS uh, because he will not have a, have access to uh, medicine and and uh, you know facilities, and it will be very difficult for him to also come in terms with his own identities with his own sexualities because he does not have the literature the knowledge of being gay he just probably understand that i he likes the man uh and then he feels for a man but he does not have the word for it he does not have the political identity of it so for a lot of gay men in bangladesh coming from the lower middle class it's more about the sexual behavior rather than the sexual identity 
Whereas for people coming from the middle class or the upper class, it would be more about the identity, it's more about the lifestyle, um, more about the politics, the words. And um, these are the people who would be more inclined to Western identities of sexuality and identity and rights. So that's that's the sort of like economic difference. And that's also how our economic background affects our sexualities. Din sociala och ekonomiska klasstillhörighet påverkar din sexualitet. Och att ens utforska sin identitet är en lyx som är få förunnat. I tätbefolkade Bangladesh kan den som bor stort lättare träffa sin partner hemma. Den som bor trångt tvingas ta sig till cruisingställen och riskerar att bli misshandlad, arresterad och torterad. Den med resurser kan utveckla en västerländsk homolivsstil, fira sin sexualitet och slåss för sina rättigheter. Den utan har kanske inte ens ord för det han känner och saknar tillgång till basala saker som mat, vård och läkemedel. Men allas kamp är på riktigt, är sann, säger Rajib. Och trots att Boys of Bangladesh främst är en medelklassangelägenhet ser han hur viktig roll de spelar i att vara stärkande så att fler vågar träda fram och leva öppet. För medelklassen är också den grupp i Bangladesh som kan göra skillnad på riktigt. Because this is the this is the class, this is the social uh, group which has money and power and which can actually make a difference, make a change if they want to. And these are the people who also control the politics in the country. kiss in public? No. No, not kiss. But in Bangladesh, we have a very homoerotic culture or homosocial culture. So it's very easy for uh, same-sex friends to hold hands, be physically intimate, you know, hug and, um, you know, all of that. You would find guys, um, you know, just acting like they're couples, but they would be just friends. So there's no uh, problem with that. People can be uh, physically intimate. Uh, that's what. That's also one thing that gives um, the uh, sort of LGBT culture um, some leverage, because the same-sex intimacy is not frowned upon. Uh, you can actually be discreet and gay, and that should be fine. Eftersom Bangladesh är så pass homosocialt så är intimitet mellan män inget som folk rynkar på näsan åt. Och för bögar är det därför ganska enkelt att uttrycka sitt begär, bara man är diskret. For example, if I bring in my boyfriend in my home, my parents will not say anything. They would be like, that's good, they're friends. But if I were straight and if I brought in brought my girlfriend home, that would be very problematic. So there is a strong segregation of um, sort of social segregation between genders, and that allows for uh, same-sex gender relationships to flourish, but in discreet. Of course, if my parents knew about my sexuality and if I bring in a boy, that would be very problematic. So that that a lot of people actually. That's, that's, that's the most common way of having relationships, and most people do that. And that's why many people are worried that all this activism, all these Western-imposed uh, ideas of LGBT freedom and LGBT rights is going to destroy this, you know, this, this uh, opportunity, this leverage that they have. I ett så pass patriarkalt och homosocialt samhälle som Bangladesh är möjligheten till ett homosexuellt liv för män så pass stor att många är emot den aktivism som Rajib driver. Att synliggöra hbtq-personer och kämpa också för deras mänskliga rättigheter gör att den homoerotiska täckmanten riskerar att falla. Gradually this veil disguise of homosocial norms is getting away. It's not working gradually. But there are people who doesn't want the LGBTI activism. Many. Within the community, many. 
many people. Uh, we always had this debate within ourselves, how to go about it, what strategy to follow and, you know, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and many people would say that, why destroy this opportunity? But of course, if we do anything or not, does, doesn't really matter because we live in a globalized world and uh, it's just not our action. Anything that happens in anywhere else affects us. So um, it's really just about the time. I may not do anything. My organization may not do anything. But after 10 years, 20 years, things will fall apart. So that has always been our argument. Rather than waiting for that day to happen, why not take measures from right now that you know, we, we are able to address those uh, the critical times when it comes. And people do, uh, nowadays people do think like that. Att kämpa för hbtq-personers rättigheter är oundvikligt i en global värld, säger Rajib. Allt som sker i andra delar av världen påverkar såklart utvecklingen hos oss. Den går inte att stoppa och vi måste vara förberedda. Hur är det för de lesbiska, frågar jag. Har de en röst i detta mansdominerade samhälle? For, for the lesbian women it's even difficult. Because first they're having to deal with uh, patriarchy. Then they're also having to deal with um, a sort of, you know, all this homophobia and all this male-dominated space and all of that. So uh, there's just not really that space for the lesbian uh, women to come together and, and really do something. Because they are just always, you know, having to fight just so many obstacles. Just our example, like for us gay men, we are being able to organize. We we are still being able to go out and and do an event, stay out late. We can stay in other friends' place. We can have our own little spaces, little parties. The patriarchy allows that, allows us to sort of survive and thrive. But um, for lesbians, no. That's that's even more difficult. And for us, we can push the marriage as, you know, as far as we can. But for girls, it's just you have to get married and very early age. That is one of the reasons why we haven't really seen a very strong uh, movement of lesbian women in Bangladesh. Än så länge finns det inte en stark lesbisk rörelse i Bangladesh. Hindren för kvinnor är för många. Särskilt det extremt hårda trycket på att gifta sig tidigt. Ett öde som i princip ingen kan fly ifrån. Many people don't escape. Gay men getting married is the most common thing in Bangladesh. Lesbian women getting married is the most common thing in Bangladesh. Whoever, whoever you are, you have to get married. There is just no notion out of the marriage. Many people follow many strategies- It all depends on individual situation, of course. For me, for example, my parents know more or less about me. My brother, my the, he knows. My cousins, they know. For my family, it's like don't ask, don't tell policy. I told them once, but they didn't really, they, they didn't talk about it after on. And whenever I want to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. But having said that, um, they still tell me about getting married, and. Uh, You know, I just say that I'm not getting married. And then they would be like, why? And I would be like, I don't want to. And then if I want to bring up my issue of sexuality, then they would shut me down. They will not talk about it further. But I guess the usual strategy would be for men to push it far as far as they can, giving excuses of uh, jobs or economic situation or... Um, no, I'm not ready or I don't want to uh, or I don't like this girl, I haven't found anybody yet. And many also leave the country. Leaving the country is one of the uh, more popular solutions. If you're farther from your family, then it's easier to avoid the pressure. So many people do that. They choose to leave. And uh, for women, it's, it's it's sort of dissimilar. And I guess it's more difficult for them to avoid that pressure um, because a single men can probably be able to lead his life without uh, too much of obstacles. But uh, as for a single woman to live on her own, it's probably the most difficult thing in Bangladesh. Um, she will not 
get an apartment she will be you know sexually harassed and socially harassed and uh, she will have to answer a lot of questions to people but there are women who have done that there are lesbian women who are single and who are uh, staying and it requires an immense courage immense amount of courage and and tolerance and uh, just this you know will strong will that um, you want to do it and it comes at a cost i know people who had to abandon their families and abandon their friends and you know change jobs change cities just because they want to live on their own men är det inga lesbiska som gifter sig med bögar och tvärtom då frågar jag för att utåt sett kunna leva som ett heterosexuellt äkta par men ha samkönade relationer utan familjernas vetskap. I don't know for an example, but I do know that many people have approached us whether that could be a solution. Many lesbian women uh, approached me to find a gay man for her so that they can just get married and all of that. And the same with also gay men. Many gay men said, like, you know, where can I find a lesbian? And it sounds very wrong, but they do sound like it. Like, where can I find a lesbian to get married and just get done with it? But yeah, I we get some such requests all the time in our organization. You know, many people email us, many people messages us, but I haven't seen an example where this has happened. <laughs> you know, the pressure doesn't just stop at marriage. The pressure goes on and on. After you get married, your family would be like, "Oh, when are we having kids? You know, when will I see our grandchild?" and uh, and they would be like, "Oh, why are you not, you know, looking happy or coming to other events?" And I mean, Bangladesh is a, it's not an individualist country. We're a very communal country. We need to know all the details about all of us, the families, how we're running the family, and there would be our our aunts and our relatives would be coming and talking about all these very intimate details of our life and uh, having suggestions and advices all the time. There's just no way you can, <laughs> you know, uh, run away from all this pressure. It just continues. But it must be so complicated to live in secret when you are so many people i mean there must be so many people everywhere because it's not that big country either so how is it even possible it's not possible i mean there are uh, people ev- all the time uh, t- looking at you and then you are never alone you're never uh, out of view of someone you're always seeing people everywhere you go even the f- remotest place of the country you will see people and your neighbors are it's not like sweden it's not like any other countries where you know the neighbors you don't know about them your neighbors know everything about you you know everything about your neighbors and um, you're always judged you're always looked at it's very difficult but it's like very close relationship and everyone knows everything about everyone but you don't talk about sex yeah you don't talk about sex before marriage after marriage you, you can i mean it's it's a, it's very interesting because you know we are one of the most populated countries 160 million people we are having sex all the time all the time everybody's talking about sex all the time all the jokes in the office on the streets and everywhere will be about sex and you know all the gossip and discussions will be about women and sex but um when it comes to you know uh, talking about sex from a perspective of rights pleasure individual you know freedom we just don't do that um there's a huge push uh, right now to introduce comprehensive sex education in the curriculum and we've been facing a huge um backlash from the islamist groups from the extremist groups and also from the government Bangladesh är ett land av hycklare säger Rajib alla gör allt i smyg men ingen pratar om det och viktiga frågor kring identitet, sexualitet, njutning och sexuella rättigheter kommer aldrig upp på bordet. Regeringen som pressas hårt av rättighets- och civilsamhällesorganisationer att införa en allomfattande och kunskapsbaserad sexualundervisning i den bangladeshiska läroplanen ger inte med sig. Det går emot vårt lands värderingar och som många andra muslimska och kristna länder är vi emot det. 
kommenterade den bangladeshiska FN-delegationen frågan om sexualundervisning när den senast diskuterades inom ramen för FNs internationella befolkningskonferens. I detta bakslag för ett mer demokratiskt styre pågår försök att bygga upp en lesbisk plattform genom vilken man vill mobilisera lesbiska kvinnor runt om i landet. Men de har det svårt, säger Rajib. It's not easy. It's very difficult for them. I think also uh, this whole patriarchal mentality is very much present within the movement. Even within, like, I know many gay men who don't like to hang out with lesbian women, who would not come to our events if we also invited lesbians. There's this, uh, you know, we call them lesbian phobia. So there's a lot of transphobia and lesbian phobia within the gay community in Bangladesh. And that hasn't made our work very easy. That is also one of the reasons why we have not been able to, this whole movement, been able to come together. We have been trying for many years. We have, we all have some success, but um, it's, 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 it's a very different uh, picture. But of course, if you live in a Bangladesh, in a very conservative, Muslim-dominated uh, country where there's a lot of risk to be being out and open, I understand also the concerns of people who do not want us to work on LGBT rights. Things can get wrong. Things did get wrong. And people who said we went a little too far, they think uh, their concerns are justified. They think that, uh, you know, uh, we have, uh, rather than advancing the rights, we have actually, because of a radical approach, we have actually harmed the community. Så det är different of opinions. Det kan gå fel. Det gick fel, säger Rajib. Och ser ut genom fönstret i rummet vi sitter i, i den luftiga lägenheten i Uppsala. För första gången stannar vårt intensiva samtal av och det blir tyst. Rajibs partner kommer in från köket och frågar om vi vill ha kaffe. Vi tackar båda nej. I april 2016 är det 35 grader varmt vissa dagar i Dacka och kraftiga oskoväder. Den här våren och även hösten innan skakas Bangladesh av en rad brutala mord på oliktänkande runt om i landet. En bloggare som var ateist och läste juridik mördas en morgon på sin väg till universitetet. En professor i engelska som såg som oislamsk hackas ihjäl av machetebeväpnade män när han väntar på bussen. En religiös ledare inom den sufiska inriktningen av islam slås ihjäl på liknande sätt i sitt hem. Rajibs vardag präglas av försiktighetsåtgärder. Allt han gör måste ske med full vaksamhet. Han kan till exempel inte åka kollektivt och knappt ens träffa sina vänner. Som den offentliga gayaktivist han är har hot mot honom framförts i tio års tid. Men den här våren är annorlunda. En särskilt ivrig person ringer ofta och säger att han är en lyckönskare. En som vill Rajib väl. Han talar med en mycket lugn och vänlig röst. I mean, I remember the one phone call where this person said, you know, he was a well-wisher. And he said, like, you know, be careful of what we're doing. Usually we keep our meeting uh, venues and everything very secure, very safe. But that person who called, he knew where we were were supposed to meet that day. So that kind of, like, worried me. He had a very calm voice and he said, like, you know, he's a well-wisher. He wanted me to be safe and the kind of work that we're doing. He said, like, you know, we should be more careful, we should watch out. And then there was, um, you know, uh, this one person that I saw many times while going to work and, uh, you know, from my home to my work. And I, that made me believe that I was being watched and all of that. And then, of course, there were Facebook messages like threat, direct threats. Many people said, like, you know, we, will, we, we know who you are, we know where you live and we'll come and get you one day. And then some, someone said, like, you know, what you will doing, you will pay for it. Then someone posted uh, our photos on Facebook and said, like, you know, remember this, 
people look at their face, they're gay activists, they're gay, they're promoting all these, you know, in Bangladesh. And if you see them on the street, kill them. That's what Islam says. Things like that. And then, of course, the time came when the during April when the rainbow rally was supposed to happen and the rainbow rally was cancelled because of police intervention. Den 14 april, samma dag som det är tänkt att de för tredje året i rad ska genomföra sitt rainbow rally vid det bengaliska nyårsfirandet, grips fyra av Rajibs kollegor från organisationen Boys of Bangladesh. Rally betyder samling och Rainbow Rally är det närmaste hbtq-personer kan komma en Pride-parad i Bangladesh. Det går till så att man beblandar sig i den allmänna nyårsyran som drar ut tiotusentals människor på gatorna. Och manifesterar med regnbågsflaggor, ballonger och kläder i regnbågens färger. Plakat och slagord är inte att tänka på. Men det här året tvingar polisen aktivisterna att ställa in samlingen för att hotet från islamistiska extremister är så pass allvarligt. And this time the the nature of the threats didn't seem like random. They are not like previous ones. It seems like there is some real danger in in them. Um and then they didn't do the rainbow rally but then still police detained four people on April 14th. And then we had a meeting on April 16th. All of us, our organizations, Ruban and Boys of Bangladesh, we sat down, we decided and talked about what we should do, what we can do. And then on April 17th, I was picked up by the police. På kvällen den 17 april går Rajib till jobbet på Dhaka Tribune för första gången på flera månader. Han har inte råd att hålla sig gömd längre. Sparkontot är tömt. Plötsligt kommer några män fram till honom. De är civilklädda poliser. And they can come and pick you up. In Bangladesh there is a law, section 54, where somebody can be arrested just on suspicion. And they do that all the time. They they pick up people and uh, they interrogate. And most of the time, many times, these people disappear. Uh, there is a strong culture of uh, enforced disappearances, extrajudicial killings in Bangladesh. So that I was like, uh, since I was followed and my phone, I believe my phone was tapped, and all of that, and then finally I got picked up by the police on April 17th um, in the evening when I was going to work. Rajib tas in till förhör hos den bangladeshiska underrättelsetjänsten som ställer frågor om hans aktivistiska arbete. I Bangladesh sker godtyckliga arresteringar hela tiden. Även utomrättsliga avrättningar genomförs av regimen. Förhöret med Rajib varar i fem timmar. They didn't torture me, luckily, thank God, because um, of, uh, I think, uh, of my contacts within, within the police. And also because of the contacts I got released after five hours um, and... Uh, You had like friends working in within the police enforcement or what kind of contacts? I would just say that I had contacts. And uh, in Bangladesh if you have contacts everything is possible. And also since they couldn't really get a lot of information out of me and uh, I don't know, but they let me go after five hours without any torture without any um, anything the police during my interrogation they told me like you know we know people are after you guys we know you're at risk so you should i mean of course the police is, their way of speaking is very convincing they they wouldn't really say anything bad they said like you know we want you to be safe we know that you have genuine threats and we want to protect you so you should give us all the information that you have that's what their approach Of course, I'm not I wasn't too dumb enough to believe that police would be the last person that we would go for protection in Bangladesh. Nobody goes to police. You know about the bloggers, many bloggers were killed. And actually one of the bloggers who were killed, he went to police a week before he was killed. So police are involved in all of these things. So that was my biggest fear, but it was but I was relieved uh, that they uh, you know released me and uh, I went back home. But even that in that day I didn't see myself leaving the country i informed my network i informed my people my partner everything what has happened but still i didn't feel like that i should leave 
things were getting bad yes but things weren't really out of hand yet Rajib ser nu fram emot stormötet de ska ha den 30 april då flera organisationer ska ses en hel dag och prata igenom strategier och aktiviteter det är hans nära vän Zulhaj Mannan som är ansvarig för sammankomsten Zulhaj som är en välkänd aktivist i Bangladesh öppen med sin homosexualitet och en av de drivande bakom landets enda hbtq-tidning. Måndagen den 25 april börjar bra för Rajib. I was in my home. I was just I just finished talking to one of our donors and uh, that was the day when I mean we thought like you know probably things are coming down a bit. Let's talk and see how we can finish this project, how we can go further and you know Rajib är för en gångs skull hemma i sin lägenhet. På grund av alla hot har han tvingats bo på ett flertal hemliga adresser i olika städer och till och med utomlands en period. Han pratar i telefon med en person som donerat pengar till deras organisation och de tror båda att det trots allt nog kommer lugna ner sig snart. När Rajib lägger på ringer hans telefon direkt. And uh, then one of my friends just called me like, you know, have you heard what has happened? I don't remember exactly, but I think the first question he asked was like, where are you? You know. And I said I'm at home and he's like, yeah, stay home, don't go out, lock the door. Um uh, he didn't tell me like what exactly happened. He said like, you know, um there was an attack at Zulhaj's house. And I was like, okay, what do you mean by an attack? And he's like, probably he got murdered. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, I wouldn't know yet. There was just, you know, speculations. And then, um, of course, uh, the phone went bizarre. Everybody was calling. Everybody was willing to know what's happened. And I was crying and I was thinking what should I do what should I do should I go to his house should I see what's happening is he still really alive should I need to mobilize people should I tell others and um, and uh, does he need blood does he need um, support for his treatment which hospital is he is he in hospital is he still in house and I was still thinking all of this and I was crying at the same time and my partner he was in London and he kept on texting me like you know you need to go to you need to safeguard yourself you need to get out you need to go somewhere safer and of course initially I didn't believe uh, what was being said uh, but then I switched on the TV and uh, there it was on the TV news A senior editor at Bangladesh's first LGBT magazine, Rootban, has been hacked to death in the capital, Dhaka. The murder is the latest in a series of religiously motivated killings in the country. The Dhaka Tribune... Zulhaj och hans pojkvän Tonoy mördas i sitt hem av en grupp oidentifierade män som lyckas ta sig förbi portvakten genom att påstå att de kommer från en budfirma och ska leverera ett paket. Väl uppe i lägenheten bryter ett besinningslöst våld ut. Attentatsmännen skär sönder Zulhajis och Tonnois kroppar med knivar. Portvakten som kommer springande attackeras också och skadas svårt men överlever. Rajib är förvirrad och ledsen, tror först inte att det han ser på tv är sant- men på något sätt lyckas han hålla huvudet kallt och få tag på en vän som kör hem honom till sig. De får höra att mördarna som man misstänker är religiösa extremister cirkulerar runt i området för att kolla om några av Zulhajis och Tonois vänner tar sig till lägenheten. De är många aktivister som nu behöver flyttas till säkra platser och communityt sluter upp. Tack vare ett pågående samarbete med amerikanska ambassaden får Rajib och en vän nästa dag flytta till ett av ambassadens hus. I had an American visa at that time and uh, many of my friends said, you know, we can just buy you a ticket and you just should leave and go to America. And I said like, no, I can't leave right now because I can't just leave right now. I mean, it's it's not in a mess, not in situation like this. There are many people who uh, would need me here. So the American embassy came forward with a long-term sort of safe home. Uh, we were kept in different houses, different hotels. Uh, there were six or seven of us. Some people came, some people left. Then some more people came. 
And at the same time, there was this um, two witnesses of the incident, two of her friends who were in the in in, in that place during the murder. And the police were looking for them because they were witnesses. And we were trying to also protect them because we didn't want the police to get to them. So there was a lot of... And then there were many other people who were who needed to be sheltered. So it was a chaotic situation. Um, and then the media was just going crazy. Um, I think uh, in my inbox, in our you know, organization's inbox, we have like hundreds of emails flowing in, wanting to know what has happened, how they can help us, what should we do, and all of that. And... We just uh, stopped everything. We stopped every communication with anyone, with everyone, except for the community people, because it was just too much for us to deal with right at that time. Rajib stannar en månad i huset som amerikanska ambassaden lånar ut. Sen får han och alla de andra aktivisterna hjälp av olika donatorer som ställer upp med pengar och boenden. Rajib fruktar för sitt liv. Och känner nu för första gången att han vill fly landet. I didn't want to go to America, so I reached out to my friend here in Sweden and I asked her see if you can get me out of here for for a few days and uh, and then she contacted uh, RFSL, RFSU, Civil Rights Defenders. They all knew me because of my work and um you know my friend got in touch with the Swedish embassy in Dhaka um so it all came together and uh, i was able to get out 8 juni 2016 landar Rajib i Sverige med hjälp av RFSU RFSL och människorättsorganisationen Civil Rights Defenders några månader senare bestämmer han sig för att söka asyl och sitter nu i en röd sammetssoffa i sitt tillfälliga hem i Uppsala han berättar hur kampen har stannat av efter morden på Zulhaj och Tonoj. Att människor är i chock, sörjer och samtidigt måste gå under jorden. Men Zulhaj själv sa alltid att om det händer någonting så kommer rörelsen bara bli starkare. This one year has been very difficult for people, for us, for the community because we have lost friends, we have lost brothers, we have lost two of our valiant activists, our you know, colleagues. So this one year has gone by without much happening. So I think the next couple of years would be very crucial whether we'll be able to stand up on our own feet it will depend on how we can strategize what we do. Zulhaj and Tony who gave their lives for this movement they always believed that they fought the right fight. They fight for the freedom of love and uh, people usually support love and uh, they were very confident that uh, if anything happened then uh, this will be a turning point for the movement it will make the movement more alive probably and uh, it will fuel the movement further maybe they are right we don't know maybe their sacrifices will not go in vain we will see of uh, you know when we punch back will have a further stronger punch or maybe we will never punch back. Det är en koalition av hat som styr Bangladesh säger Rajib. Majoriteten av folket, regeringen och de religiösa extremisterna samverkar och eldar på varandras homofobi. Det är Bangladesh som Rajib 2001 kallar frihetens land är idag en nation som ständigt kränker de mänskliga rättigheterna, inskränker yttrandefriheten och stiftar lagar som försvårar för rättighetsorganisationer att verka i landet. För bara tio år sedan, berättar Rajib, var det nästan ingen politiker som brydde sig om oss hbtq-aktivister. Regeringen observerade vår verksamhet, men hindrade den inte. Vi har inte sett som ett politiskt hot för en nu. I mean they were just probably more like observing what's going on what we're doing and they didn't see us as a more political threat till now. But um, there is a general homophobia within the country that has helped the government not to act and uh, and not to come up with policies to protect us 
For example, you know, homosexuality is, is illegal in Bangladesh under, under British colonial law. So we have been lobbying for a very long time to uh, get rid of that law, and the government hasn't. And then the government wanted to enact an anti-discrimination law. And we have been lobbying to include sexual orientation and gender identity ground in that anti-discrimination law. They haven't done that. And uh, also, you know, we have been asking them to train the uh, police and the law, law enforcers so that we are not harassed. Um, they haven't done that. Because they understand that there is a general anti-LGBT uh, mentality within the people. And if they do anything positive, that will anger uh, these people. That will affect their politics and their party and their votes. So they haven't really done anything. Eftersom homofobin är så djupt rotad i Bangladesh vill inte politikerna ge efter för några krav på hbtq-rättigheter. För det kan leda till att de får färre röster, konstaterar Rajib. Och idag, när hbtq-personer är mer synliga än någonsin i det bangladeshiska samhället, ökar den allmänna homofobin och därmed också våldet mot den här gruppen. Aktivister övervakas, hängs ut och hatas på sociala medier. Och allt det här utnyttjar de religiösa extremisterna. But recently when we started becoming more and more visible, this uh, homo anti-LGBT stance got stronger within the people. And uh, we have seen a huge uh, backlash online. Mostly general people just, you know, exposing us, commenting on, like ne- negatively commenting on, on our uh, pages, on Facebook and everywhere, um, and just spreading hatred. And that has caught the attention of the extremists, the religious extremists. We have always known that there will be a day when, you know, we'll have to face them, but we didn't think the day would come so soon. We see them now as the main force, main antagonist. But, of course, they don't operate all alone. If there was a protection ground for LGBT people from the government, then it would have been easier to fight them. But what what we have seen instead is that the government is also appeasing them. I mean, when this our two friends were killed last year, the government said, you know, they don't um, support the killing, but they also don't support anything that goes against the religion. So in a way, they are sort of encouraging these extremists um, because we are against the religion. You know, homosexuality is considered to be a sin in Islam. So, so the government is ac- accepting their violence against you. Yes, it is legitimizing it. I mean, when it says that it, it will not tolerate anything against the religion, then it is uh, then the government is, le- is sort of legalizing, uh, giving a voice and, and supporting the extremists. And it is not really the government's fault because we have seen online and everywhere else after the the killings happened, many people supported it many general people came out openly and said you know gays should be killed because that's what islam prescribes so the government does not want to lose their vote bank and uh, so it's 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 a coalition of hatred <laughs> i don't blame people hatred is a consequence of ignorance That's what we've been fighting. We've been trying to educate people, raise awareness about um, LGBT rights, about homosexuality, about sexual diversity. But of course, you can't just educate 160 million people in one day. It's a it's a long term movement. Hat är en konsekvens av okunskap, säger Rajib. Folk vet ingenting om hbtq-rättigheter och sexuell mångfald. Och trots att vi kämpar på med stöd från rättighetsorganisationer är det svårt att utbilda 160 miljoner människor. Vi når inte ut till massan. Och just nu känns det som att vi hbtq-aktivister dessutom måste ta den här fighten helt själva. This is like a... Um... A difficult situation because then it leaves us to fight our own fight. We don't get support from the government. We don't get support from the general people. So who do we fight? How do we fight? And then how do we survive, more importantly, in such a um, violent situation? 
And then people who supported us are also now afraid to speak out, to say anything, because now they're also afraid they will also face the same consequences. Now it's all hush-hush, nobody wants to say anything in support of LGBTs. And it's like, if you support LGBT, you are doomed. But do you believe in the future? Do you believe in a shift? Of course, I've always been an optimistic person. And uh, I, you know, optimism and hope are the main fuel of this movement. But um, it'll take time. It'll take time. Det kommer ta tid för Rajib och hans community att förändra Bangladesh till ett demokratiskt samhälle där alla har samma rättigheter. Han lägger till att vi som kan leva tryggt, vi måste bidra till kampen och fortsätta arbetet. Det finns inget annat. De som är kvar i Bangladesh måste få hjälp att överleva och det krävs resurser för att kunna skapa så konkreta saker som skyddar boenden och transport. Han påpekar att nu måste den globala hbtq-rörelsen uppmärksamma situationen i Bangladesh och ge röster åt dem som inte har några. Du har hört RFSU-dokumentär, en podd om kamp, flykt och sexuella rättigheter med Rajib. Reporter och producent var Malin Holgersson. Exekutivproducent Rasmus Malm på RFSU. RFSU-dokumentär görs av produktionsbolaget Filt Hinterland för RFSU. RFSU kämpar sida vid sida med modiga aktivister i länder som Kambodja, Kenya, Bolivia och Bangladesh för allas rätt att bestämma över sin kropp och sin sexualitet. Vi behöver vara ännu fler som vågar ta ställning. Bli medlem. Ge en gåva eller läs mer på rfsu.se.